Well, thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. Well, thank you for everything that he is, for all that he has done and accomplished on our behalf. We thank you for the precious blood which flowed from Emmanuel's veins. Thank you, Lord, that burdens are lifted at Calvary. Thank you, Lord, that those of us who have come to a saving knowledge and saving faith in him, when we came to Calvary, the burden of our sin, our trespasses, our transgressions, were lifted from our very conscience. And we thank you, Lord, that we are translated this morning from darkness into light. Father, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of thy dear Son, the Son of your love. Father, we pray you'll bless your people this morning. For those who are away on holiday, encourage them. For those who are ill at home, will you strengthen them? And those of us who are here and even watching, we pray, O oh God, that we'd all receive the portion of the blessing. Speak to us in whatever way you deem it fit to do. And help this man of frailty and clay lips to rightly divide the word of truth and to speak well of your son, the Lord Jesus. Encourage your people. And Father, we pray that when all is prayed and said and done and sung in this place this morning, that Christ alone will be seen and that he alone will be glorified. In Jesus' name, we ask it and we pray. Amen. Could I also just say, uh, this week, um, Derek and myself went and delivered a lot of the clothes and things from the shop, and we delivered it down to uh, a little shop uh, on the Lisburn Road in Belfast, and they are a pro-life shop. And they are availing then of that which we have um, been clearing out down in the shop. But we will be back in touch with you um, whenever we're looking for more help to get uh, back in there. Um, Will you turn with me, please? Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. And to chapter 14. Chapter 14, please. This morning, I want to entitle this simply, uh, Simon Says. Uh, I got an idea, and I'm going to do, God willing, maybe a couple or a few weeks on this subject, or not this particular one, but on Simon Says. God willing, in the Lord's will, next Lord's Day morning, we will do Simon Says, when he says to the Lord Jesus Christ, Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God. So God willing, next Sunday morning, Simon said that. Okay, we're going to look at Matthew 14. This is part one. And we're going to go uh, to verse 22. 
And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent away the multitudes. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thy... Bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now the Lord will bless that reading of his own inspired and divine word. The great and mighty miracle of the Lord Jesus walking upon the water is mentioned in three of the Gospels. Here in Matthew 14, also in Mark chapter 6, and in John chapter 6 also. Of course, some people mock and scorn and laugh at the thought of someone walking upon the water. They ridicule and make fun of the Christian who believes that such a thing is possible and ever happened. It could be said, though, that the most damage, the most damage to the Christian faith and the belief of some individual believers who may be weak in faith and doubting with some unbelief. The most damage is done by apostate preachers. That is, men who profess to know Christ as Savior, or even men who profess to be a preacher, a pastor, a minister, or whatever, and they are in a pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, and they demean the great and mighty miracles of God, such as the Lord Jesus Christ walking upon the water. For example, some uh, quite a lot of years ago, Dr. Soper came to Carlisle Circus and he preached, uh, trying to explain away the scriptures to fit in with the modernist ideology, and he said that Jesus did not walk upon the water, but he paddled in the shallows. 
and walked around the coast or along the beach to meet them. Now we're going to look at this this morning. I've preached on this in Mark's account, but we'll we're going to look at Matthew's mainly this morning because this is a little different and Matthew gives us something extra in in his account. And so, contrary to the scriptures, it's said by some apostate modernist preachers as they try and look at the scriptures to say, how can the scripture fit into society And how can this theology be turned around that it will be accepted by society? My brothers and sisters, we have to from the outset remember this. God's word is forever settled in heaven. And it does not, neither can it change to fit society's agenda. So society must come to fit the agenda of the Lord and his word. Now, there's no moving on that. When the Bible says that Jesus walked upon the waves of the sea, I believe it, and I believe him. Notice here, the word in verse 25 and in verse 26, walking. Verse 25 and in the fourth night of the watch, watch of the night, pardon me, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now take note of this. He went walking unto them, walking on, on, not in, on the sea. And the fourth watch of the night would have been any time after 3 a.m. Pitch black at night. Any time after 3 a.m. to about 6 a.m. And hence the Lord Jesus goes walking to them on the sea. And it says in verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, there's the second witness of the word, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. Mark's account gives us also, and the word is phantasma. In other words, they're thinking this is an occultic spirit. An occultic spirit. They're in a storm. They're in the midst of the sea and the waves roaring. And here comes a figure walking on the sea. Now, why would they look and see this figure and be afraid? Why would they look if they were not in the darkness, in the midst of the sea, in the midst of a storm? Why would they be so worried if they had went to the other side And Jesus had paddled in the shallows and walked around the coast of the beach to meet them. That's what some people put it down, the meaning. And I'll tell you why, because uh, the word for walking is the word parapatheo. And it's used when Jesus comes walking on the beach and he calls uh, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John walking on the beach. It's used there. So they try and fit it into here. But it says he comes walking on. The word on is the word apai. It means right upon the waves of the sea. The sea became like a pavement, like a hardened roadway to Christ when his feet were touching the water. They cry, phantasma, phantasma, it is a spirit. And hence, why would they cry it's a spirit of the occultic arts? That's the idea of this. Why would they cry this if they were on the land? Sure, they could just run away. They were in a boat in the darkness in the middle of the sea. 
And here's where I want to just interject for a moment. In your storm, in your dark periods of your life, in your troubles and where your mind and heart would be, in the things that come upon you, your family, in all of those times of trouble, why is it we always see the devil in the detail rather than the Lord Jesus Christ coming to redeem, to save, to deliver? Why is it we see the devil in the detail? They saw, as it were, the devil in the detail. Phantasma is the word they use. It is a spirit from the occultic arts. The devil wasn't in the storm. The devil wasn't walking on the sea. Christ was. And in the midst of your battle, in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your storm and where you find yourself at times in places of worry and anxiety and stress and danger, Christ is in it with you. He is the one who comes to redeem, to save, to deliver his people. My brothers and sisters, we have to look a little bit more at this walking. Notice it says in verse 26, And the disciples saw him walking on the sea and were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. And as I said, the, the word walking is parathatheo, and it means to order one's life. To order one's life. And you and I, without even realizing it, order our lives every day of the week, all day, every day. We order our lives to walk. Our feet take us, when we're hungry, to the kitchen. Well, sorry, Alison. When I'm hungry, Alison's feet takes her to the kitchen. I can't cook, won't cook. Beans and toast is about my height. You know, when the ladies were away the other weekend, Alison thought I would starve. And on Friday, I made scrambled eggs and toast. That deserves more than that now, you know, but anyway. Scrambled eggs and toast. And and, uh, when they went away to, to see that concert last the Gaddies last week and I was in the house of my own and I fed myself with the Chinese and a full big bag of Doritos. <laughs> I can survive, you see. But our feet order, our life orders our feet. Where our brain is, where our thinking is, where our mind is, the circumstances we are in depends where your mind will take you and it orders your feet and therein you walk in it. You walk in it. If you're going to walk in fear, your mind is going to be in fear, you'll walk in it. That's where you'll walk. If you're going to be in anxiety, the anxiety takes you somewhere else, you start, as it were, walking in it. But if you walk in faith, trusting in Christ, you're ordering your life to walk, believing that he is in the storm. That he is in the midst. 
And hence they walked, or pardon me, he walked on the water. Parapateo. So where are your feet taking you? Do you know there's, hmm, I want to say this carefully. Do you know there are professing Christians and their feet are taking them because they're ordering their life. Their feet take them then to the nightclubs at night. Their feet takes them into the bar to get their alcohol. They're ordering their life. Now listen, they say, I can't help it. Yes, you can, brother. If you're saved, yes, you can, sister. Some order their life. They, they, they walk in a, in a period and in a way where they, as it were, Murder in their heart, their brothers or sisters, their feet are swift to shed innocent blood, as it were, and in that sense. And they're ordering their life. They're walking in this way. But if we were to order our life and walk according to this, fear would have no hold on us. Anxiety would be far from us. The devil would have no sway over us. And the world would not tempt us. How are you ordering your life? Hear a pin drop? It's like a holy hush. How are you ordering your life? Where are your feet taking you to walk? Christ ordered his feet to walk on water. Christ ordered his life to go across the sea. Christ ordered his feet to go and rescue. But Christ ordered his feet to walk up Mount Calvary. Christ ordered his life, as it were, his feet to go to the cross and to die for us. He comes walking upon the waves of the sea. Now, people may say, ah, well, I mean, how could you even prove that? Uh, listen, I want you to go, if you have uh, your Bible with you, I trust you have today, especially the Lord's Day. Would you go to me, with me to the book of Job? The little book of Job. And chapter 9, please. Job is... Um, Job is speaking about the, the, the magnitude... Job is speaking about the, the glory, the creative power uh, of God and... Job 9 and verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. In other words, you can't answer. You have no answer for it. How can we be just with God? Well, as it were, Christ ordered his life. He gave his life at Calvary for us. Notice, let your eye run down, please. 
to verse 7. Speaks of the Lord, says, Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens. And now note the end of this verse. God alone does this, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. And treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Now I see the words treadeth upon in the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament written in ancient Greek. It is the same word as walking when Jesus came walking upon the sea. The words there, treadeth upon, is the exact same word. Parapatheo, it means to order your life where you walk in a certain way in a place. And hence he's saying, God himself orders himself, as it were. He orders his life, or he brings himself down to walk upon the waves of the sea. Now, when Christ was walking on the waves of the sea, who was walking on the waves of the sea? Almighty God. Almighty God. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that when we look at these things, is it any wonder that the very wind ceased? Is it any wonder the storm was stilled when he just gets into the boat and all fears are gone? Sang it this morning, troubled soul, the Savior can see every heartache and tear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. And thank God for his nearness for when we think of the awesome almighty God who created all things. For example, in Psalm 147 and 4, it says, he telleth the number of the stars and he calleth them by their names. And that's the power of God. That's the, uh, the, the vast immensity of our God. But what good is that if he isn't personable to us? When you're in that place, that darkness, that storm, what good is it if he's not personable, if he's not tangible, and if he isn't even visible at times with us? Well, Isaiah 57, if you like to turn with me. Isaiah 57, we're just going to lift out a couple of verses. In fact, we'll just lift out the one, verse 15. says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Now, there he is up in the heavens. We're glad to have such a great and wonderful, powerful and almighty creator God, holy and high in the heavens. Wonderful you're looking over us, but what Good is it to us if he isn't personable to us. If he's aloof from us. But notice what it says. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. So the almighty God who created all things is with him also, with her also, with you also. 
that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive of the heart, the heart of the contrite ones. And see the word there, contrite, by the way, it gives the idea to crush something to powder, actual powder. You ever feel that you're crushed? Your spirit's crushed. You ever feel that your mind is crushed? Do you ever feel your heart's been broken so much it's crushed? It's the idea. The great almighty God becomes personable in the spirit. He became personable in the son. Dying for us. Now he's personable in the spirit to us. And the heart of the man and woman who are crushed. And the humble means simply brought low. You're crushed sometimes and you're brought low. Your mind and your thinking is crushed and brought low. Brothers and sisters, the Lord says he will revive you. He says, I'm with you to revive you. The disciples in a ship, in a storm, in the darkness, in the midst of the sea, they're certainly crushed. They're brought low. And lo, there comes a figure walking upon the waves of the sea. And who was it? Job says, it is the Almighty. The one who calms the storm. The one who speaks and the wind would cease. The one who is the high and lofty one. And hence we can see, brothers and sisters, God is meticulous over his creation from the high heavens to the humble heart. So this morning, don't leave here thinking, does he know? Does he hear? Does he see? Will he help? But rather think that God is with you and God is here in the midst of the darkness to help you. This shows us also the deadness of the human heart. That creation bows to its creator. The waves become like a pavement, like as hard as the road. The waves are like you walking on this concrete floor to the Lord Jesus. He gets into the ship and the winds and the waves, the storm ceases. But here it shows us the, the deadness of the human heart that we cannot save ourselves. The deadness of the human heart is that is lost and as undone and as unable to get out of the storm themselves. The deadness of the human heart is this, is that they relied on a greater influence from outside. That's the story of the gospel. We rely on a greater influence from the outside because we can't save ourselves. And what we do is we need to look to Christ who alone is the bread of life which came down from heaven, who alone is the Son of God who went to the cross for us. And since we we have to see in everything, not just at the cross, we can see how Christ saves us at the cross. We can believe it with all of our hearts. We can sing it. We can talk about it. We can read about it and rejoice in it. But in the storm, sometimes we think, where are you now, Lord? How is it the devil can get to you in your thinking? 
How is it the devil can get to you, but you think that God can't? Well, think about this. The devil can get to you. This is the thinking of God's people. The devil can do... Listen, there's a whole lot of things aren't even off the devil. Do you know that? Some of it's off our own making. Some of it is off our own sinful fleshy mind and life. But how is it we can believe it's the devil gets to us, but rather it's not... He's not omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not the Almighty. Your Father is. Your Heavenly Father is. And the human heart here shows a picture of the lost estate of the man and woman. Shows a lost estate of these disciples. They would be lost. Terrible tragedy of that... Um, submarine, well, supposed to be a submarine, uh, that craft that went away down to the bottom of the sea to the Titanic this week and imploded. And, you know, there's really nothing left there but bits and pieces and fragments. And it shows the, the, the lost estate and even man. And as hard as they tried and as much as they wanted to save, they were unable to save these people. These people were gone. They were lost. They're lost. There's no recovery of any life there. And such is the man and woman who are not saved. Such is the man and woman's heart. The the depravity of the human heart is the inability to be able to save ourselves. That's the depravity of our hearts. And it's shown here again by these disciples. Can't save themselves. They needed Christ to come and to get involved. They needed Christ to come, if you want, and to interfere. And I'm glad of the moments, and I'm glad of the times, and I rejoice there are times when Christ gets involved and Christ interferes, even whenever I can't see a way out, and I think it's the devil in the darkness with the details. That's all they could see. We're lost. It's dark. The storm. It's over. We're done. It's all they could see. And all of a sudden, it's the devil coming. It's a spirit from the occultic arts. And, and, and these people are they're doomed. But it wasn't. It was Jesus seeing them. And Jesus came to them. It was Jesus in the midst of the darkness. Jesus in the midst of the storm. It was Jesus walking upon the water. It was Jesus who called out to them. It was Jesus that brought them hope. It was Jesus that gave them life. It was Jesus that was coming to rescue them. You see, brothers and sisters, it's time to start looking for Jesus in it. For the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that creation bows, the sea, the wind ceases, the storm abates. And when we see that the, uh, the creation bows, but the human heart is a continuous rebel. The human heart is a continuous rebel against God. How is it he who loved us and gave himself for us and shed his blood that we might be forgiven and washed and cleansed and 
and we might be in his kingdom, even as the pastor said this morning, translated from darkness into light, into the kingdom of God's dear son. How is it that our hearts continuously rebel against him? Our hearts rebel, all of us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, and and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. The Holy Spirit quickened us. He made us alive. He reanimated us. I've given you the illustration before of the wee cartoon stick man you draw, and then on the next page, maybe he's, Maybe he's like this, and then the next page he's like this, and, and then the next page he's like that, and the next page he's like this, and then he's like that, and then he's like this, and then he's like that. And when you flick it all together, he walks. It's called animation. We know that. And Adam walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. He was animated with God. He was animated and walk and fellowship. Animated. But when he fell... Sin brought forth death, and he died from God, and hence in Christ all shall be made alive. All shall be quickened. The word is zepohio, and it means to reanimate, that that which was lost in the garden is regained in Christ. And hence we should have fellowship with him, the fellowship of his sufferings even, the fellowship and walking with him, ordering our lives to serve ordering our lives to praise, ordering our lives to worship, ordering our lives to glorify him, ordering our lives into the place of prayer. And you, Hathi, quickened who were dead. We were dead. Necros, it means dead. And he made us alive. We were dead. In trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, the thing about it is, is we all lived a life like this. And we were all like children of disobedience. Actually, the word disobedience can also be used in, uh, in the Greek text as impersuasible. That's the word that can be used. We couldn't be persuaded. That's why the, the dead, the unsaved, can't be persuaded into Christ. Yeah, we can persuade them with the gospel, but it means they're dead. They can't take it unless the Spirit of God quickens them, unless the Spirit of God moves upon them, unless the Spirit of God makes them alive unto Christ. That's what happened to you. That's what happened to me. We were made alive unto the Lord Jesus. Now notice this. Matthew's account of this in Matthew 14 is the only one out of the three Gospels, Mark 6, John 6, Matthew 14. Matthew 14 is the only account where Peter walks on the water. We see this great feat and we've spoke about it right up till now because we, want to have, because we want to make sure Christ is in the center, that Christ always has the preeminence. This isn't about Peter or Simon Peter. Well, that's why we're calling it Simon Says. In fact, 
he's called Peter even in Matthew chapter 4, but it's not until Matthew 16 that the Lord says, and I'm going to, God willing, do that next week, that the Lord says, uh, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to look at it next week, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But this is the only one of the three of them that mentions Peter walking. And as great as it is, and we see Christ walking on the water, do you know what's, to me, what's as, as great, and maybe even personally greater, saying it reverently to the Lord, that he causes me to be able to walk, that he causes me to be able to walk, order my life, that I might serve him and love him and know him, as Peter walked on the water, that when the wind and the waves come and the storms and the darkness comes, when I keep my eyes on him, I can walk on that which others are sinking in. And when you do it, this is such a miracle. Listen, the deadness of our hearts, stony dead hearts, and now we have hearts of flesh that are, as it were, beating these spiritual fleshy beating hearts after the Lord that he's, and he enables me to overcome. He enables me to keep on going. He enables me to stand upon the sea. But sometimes the wind gets boisterous and I take my eyes off him. And so do you. And so do you. And do you know what happens? We begin to sink. Everything starts going wrong. There was a song, the second song we sang, Rebecca, it was a wee line and it caught me. And it was, without you, is it, I fall apart. And without Christ, I fall apart. You can put yourself in there. Without the nearness of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, without having him, as it were, being aware of his, of his company and fellowship, I fall apart. Simon says, Lord, if it be thy, Simon says, if it be thy. And, you know, we can, we can look at this in a certain way where Simon was maybe prone to acting on impulse. He was known as impetuous Peter. And maybe get out of the boat on impulse. But, and some commentators think that. But sometimes our faith is small. But small faith is still faith. And Simon somehow mustered up the faith when they realized it was Christ to say, Lord, it's not the devil here. It's not the devil in the darkness. It's not the devil in the storm. It's not the devil blowing the wind in our face and nearly sinking our ship and our boat here. It's not the devil, Lord, but it's Christ coming to redeem and to rescue and to save and deliver. And at some point he says, but Lord, if it's you, because sometimes we're just not sure. Lord, is this of you? Some people say things are off the Lord and it's not off the Lord. But if this is off you, Lord, then bid me come. Oh, bless his heart. Know what the Lord says. Come on. Trust me. And Peter can be impetuous and he can act on impulse and even use the emotion of the moment 
And you see, brothers and sisters, some people and Christians, and, and I have to say, really in charismatic circles, never mind Pentecostal circles, they, they can use the emotion off the moment to think it's off the spirit. And it isn't. They can do that. And it isn't. That's the emotion of the moment. Sometimes we move on that emotional moment. But don't be ruled by your heart. You may say, what I want to go, I know in my heart. No, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, saith the Lord? And he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins. So the heart is deceitful. Don't follow your heart. Follow the word. You follow Christ. He says, if it be thy, bid me come. And of course he comes and the wind gets boisterous and around him. And Matthew 14 is especially precious to me. I've mentioned this some years ago. And uh, 20, well, 1996, the end of 96, come up to Christmas. My mother was diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer. And she was 53. And I didn't know a lot about scriptures or teaching then. I, I was saved, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't know a lot or what to do. And I, I simply, uh, she came to, she was, she was Presbyterian and went to church sporadically and then not. And then sporadically again, she was more church. She didn't go out. She was a woman who just looked after her family. And she actually ate well and she didn't drink. And But she was just all of But she wasn't saved and she did get saved. And I remember I came in one day and I, one night and I happened to read Matthew 14 and about Peter sinking. And I, I spoke to her about the storm that she was in. And, and she used to love the scriptures and I sat and prayed with her. My dad used to say, Son, every night you come around here, your mum's different when you leave. I says, it's nothing to do with me, Dad. It's about the Savior she's trusting. It's about him and his word. I, I can't do anything in this. I remember one day, night I went around to see her and she says, Son, I feel awful ashamed. And I says, Mum, what's wrong? She said, I was laying in bed last night and I know I'm not well. I know I'm not well. Now, she didn't know the diagnosis she knew the diagnosis, but she didn't know what the outcome would be. But we were told that she hadn't long to live. And I remember sitting with her this night, and she was a bit, she, she was uh, a bit upset. And I says, "Why are you ashamed?" She says, "I was lying in bed last night, and it was quiet, and I couldn't sleep, and I started feeling afraid." I says, "Mum, we all feel afraid at times." She says, "But." She says, I remembered what you were reading to me in Matthew 14. This is the first I've preached out of this chapter since it. She says, I was laying in bed and I was just afraid and it was just all coming in on me. And I remembered... What you were what you were reading in Matthew 14, I says, and what happened? She says, well, you know why Peter got out of the boat and the storm came and he looked at the wind, the waves, and rather than says he looked at Jesus, he's walking on the water. But when that came, he began to sink. I said, yes. She says, that's how I was feeling, and I realized just newly saved. 
just newly, just a newborn in Christ. Says, well, I remembered Matthew 14. And I said, Lord, forgive me for fearing and for concern and worry. I'm placing my eyes on you, not this storm. For no matter what, you'll never let me go. And I says, well, what happened? She says, I fell asleep and had a good night's sleep. But I'm ashamed I'd done that. I says, listen, that's what happened. And every night, no matter what I read, come to, I came to visit her every night. No matter what I read, afterwards she'd say, see, before you go, would you read Matthew 14 about Peter getting out of the boat? That's what she used to say. And I used to read it for her. And I was doing a committal at her graveside. She died a few months later. And I read Matthew 14 around her graveside. But that's the first I've preached from it. The way I have this morning. Preached on the other ones, but not this one. Brought little mentions of it, but not like this. What am I saying? Brothers and sisters, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Jesus Christ. And the storm will blow. The winds will get harder. The rain might come. You might be seeing surrounded in darkness. But I can tell you, keep your eyes on him. You might, be, might not be able to see through the darkness. You might feel a bit blind. Well, I can tell you, he sees you right through the darkness. He sees you right through the darkness. For we're told, especially in Mark's account, he goes up a mountainside alone to pray, sends away the crowd, and there they're out in the midst of the sea. By the way, uh, as for him paddling in the shallows, Mark says it's the midst of the sea. Matthew says it's the midst of the sea, Mark 6, Matthew 14. But John said it was about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. And when you measure that, guess where it is? It's about three and a half miles out in the sea. John puts it there, about three and a half miles out. So guess what with the reckon it parts the Sea of Galilee is? Seven miles. The Holy Ghost knows it all. I'm finished here. Listen. Faith makes one walk upon that which others sink in, but doubt makes one sink into that which others are sinking in. Peter's failures only made him love the Lord more. Here's what he cries. Oh, Lord, I come to thee in the precious name of your son, love. And he gives a whole big, he hadn't time. He was sinking. Oh, Lord, I'm just all these lovely swelling, you know, a mouth full of marbles, making sure I talk right and all this sort of stuff. He wasn't doing that. You know what he cried? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. It's not the length of the prayer. It's not the intelligence and the intellect of the prayer. It's the heart. It's the heart. We're told Jesus put down his hand. See if he had been paddling around the shallows. What was Peter sinking in? 
What did Jesus lift them up out of? If it was a foot or two even. It was in the midst of the sea. He places them back in the ship and Jesus gets in and the wind ceases. With Christ in the vessel, smile at the storm. Simon says, if it be thou, bid me come. Come on. And then when he didn't do too well, he says, Lord, save me. Simon says, Lord, save me. God willing, next week, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. God bless you this morning. God bless his word to our hearts. Billy, you and the team, come up, please. And